Sean Sewell with Ingamer.com podcast. I'm really excited to welcome back my mentor and friend, Michael Doc Hartle for the second time. Doc, thanks for your time and thanks for being here. Hey, it's great to be back with you, sir. I appreciate you very much. Now, last time you were on, it was February 2nd, I believe, of 2020. I was just getting over a horrible fever, like 104, and had lost my voice, and you, you coached me through that over the weekend. Uh, and then this is pre-COVID. So since then, there's been a lot of changes. We have a lot to catch up on. Um, so I, I didn't know where to start, I guess, at the beginning. So a uh, little bit about yourself, Doc. Um, 25 years in business as a chiropractor. Started semi-pro football at age 38. Um, just incredible. Like, what gravitated you to start semi-pro football in the first place? Well, I, when I was in high school, um, I was five foot four as a freshman, so I was a shorter gentleman. Yeah. So I was the football manager of the freshman football team. I, did, I was kind of almost personally afraid of playing six foot tall guys. Mm -hmm. Then I got into bike racing uh, in my sophomore year. Uh, my dad always loved riding bikes, so I love riding bikes. So I went from a Schwinn Varsity, the old 40-pound uh, tank of solid mm -hmm. steel that you had, um, and I bought a racing bike. So I raced for a couple of years with that. And I like to say back in my skinny days when I was about 160, 170 pounds. Oh, yeah, skinny. Um, yes. Now I weigh 265, so I'm a you know, huge 265 in that regard. Uh, but anyways... So then my senior year, I thought, you know what, I'm just, I grew up to be six foot one and uh, I got to about 190 body weight. So a couple of friends were saying, you should play football, play football. So I only played one year of high school football. Um, and because of that, I was, I was a second string, but I got a lot of playing time as defensive tackle and a center um, out there quite a bit. Then I got to uh, graduate from high school and I joined a gym called Elite Gym in Bloomington, Minnesota. And my buddies went to, off to college. I stayed home and went to college, University of Minnesota. And I got into powerlifting. And that's when I went from about one, 175, whatever, up, up to 275. Uh, I just ate a lot of food, ate my parents out of house and home. Um, you know, half a gallon of milk every day, you know, all this other stuff, loaf of bread every couple of days, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, did powerlifting for 20 years. And then in 2005, I had my last powerlifting meet. And then I had a patient who played for the Kokomo Mustangs, a semi-pro team not too far from here. And so I started asking him some questions and I thought, well, maybe I could try that. And uh, I also at the time was a coach of track and field for my son's uh, junior high and also a coach of football. So I knew something about football, I love football. And uh, so I looked into it and then a, a, another guy became a patient of mine and he played for a team called the Lima Warriors, which Lima, Ohio is about 70 miles east of here. Uh, so we used to drive there twice a week. Um, I get done with practice, pick him up drive twice a week there, 70 miles, 70 miles back, practice, play with them. I, I got some playing time, but not a whole lot of playing. I had a really a lot of good players on that team. And then when that team got done, I was done for the year. I was going to go back next year. Well, then a teammate of mine called me and said, hey, you want to play some more football this year? And I said, sure. And so there's a team just south of here, about 20 minutes, called uh, the Adams County Patriots. They play at Belmont High School in a town called Decatur, Indiana. And uh, so we drove down there. And I played the last couple of games of the season. Then I joined them for the next year. Uh, and that's when things really took off. So one of my football coaches on the line of warriors always said, dude, you are like the strongest guy in our leagues. I just got done powerlifting. So I squatted 705 bench 535, you know, down to 635. So not too bad. Um, and he says, as a defensive tackle, you can hit the offensive lineman like a tank, but then you stop. And I thought well, that's a good point because for 20 years in powerlifting, my feet haven't moved. My body has moved but my feet don't know how to move. Okay. I know how to run and all that stuff, but in a very, in a athletic uh, motion. 
So then I applied what I taught my track kids as far as in the off season and I got my feet moving. And then I also had to give up the absolute strength aspect of powerlifting. So that was difficult because I enjoyed being strong. I mean, you know, when you, when I squatted 705, that was a goal to always squat over 700 pounds. That was just amazing. Uh, benching 535. One of my patients said, man, you bench over a quarter ton. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Uh, but so that's a lot of weight. But then if I'm going to play three, three and a half hours of football in the summertime, I have to give up some of that absolute strength and have more strength endurance. So then consequently, that spring of April 2006, I went to Pavel's RKC certification, learned how to use kettlebells. Because up until that point, I had actually uh, bought a couple of kettlebells and they were paperweights in my gym. They get their gas, uh, dust gatherers. Yes. Uh, so I didn't know how to use them. So then, so you combining the kettlebells with the barbell and then using my track training, I became faster and faster and able to move my feet. So then joined the season in 2007. We had an undefeated season. We went down to Florida. We played the national championship game. We won. So we were a double A national champions in semi-pro football. Wow. The next year we were undefeated. We went 26 and 0 in three, in two seasons. Uh, we were the talk of Indiana as far as, as far as semi-pro football. Uh, we had a lot of good players, a lot. And, and these are when semi-pro football, it's one of those sports where, you know, you don't know how many people are going to show up for every game. It's yeah. not like the NFL where they have a roster of 53 guys and then they have to say, okay, so-and-so can't play. He's on injured reserve for this week. And it's even out in the media about that. Mm -hmm. Here, we didn't know if we're going to have 10 guys. We're going to have 20 guys. But Patriots, we had a lot of guys. We usually had 25 to 30 guys every game. Wow. And so we had a lot of good guys. We had a lot of good substitutes. People went in and out. Um, my defensive coordinator, <laughs> he liked to get, he to give me crap all the time. He said, I said, why'd you pull me out of the game? He goes, Doc, I need someone fast. And I just, I took that personally. Not uh -huh. that he was trying to like, you know, insult me. You remember that um, uh, series with uh, Michael Jordan, The Last Dance? Mm -hmm. And whenever he said, I took that personally, he then dropped 60 points on the other team. Yeah. Okay. So I, in a sense, I was kind of like Michael Jordan. I took it personally. So yeah. I made myself faster and faster and faster and everything else. Um, so was captain of the football, one of the captains of the football team and everything else. So was, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So you know, I had 20 years of powerlifting of a high level before I actually started playing semi-pro football. So um, it actually blessed me with making my tendons and my ligament structures around my knees, around my ankles, very, very strong. So I had 300 pound linemen roll into my knees and they would literally, in a sense, not to brag, but bounced off because I went, I thought this is going to shred my ACL. Yeah. And nothing happened. So I have to think that, you know, in a case study that that made my tendons so strong that I was able to withstand all that stress. Oh, that's great. So you translated powerlifting into structural integrity to handle semi-pro football in a big, big way. That's, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, I love it. That is super, super cool. Um, before we push record on the microphone, I, I, I didn't give enough credit to, to, to Doc and who he is. So how I met Doc was actually at um, an SFG certification. He was the, the team lead. Got it right here. Boom. Team Hartle. <laughs> I think we're actually Team Metallica, weren't we? Yes, we were. We actually we had three teams. We had Team uh, Hartle, we had Team Zonin, Fabio Zonin, and Team Spazano. Yeah, uh, I was Metallica. I think Fabio was. Uh, what was he he? Iron Maiden or is he? No, I think uh, Spazano was Iron Maiden. I can't remember what Fabio was. Either Man of War or one of his favorite bands there. So we just kind of we kind of you know quote unquote renamed the teams there. So we had a lot of fun at that cert. 
Oh, we did. I loved it. And you brought me back to my love for Metallica. And then I got to work with you, learn from you at the Strong First Lifter, which is your, your and Pavel's uh, baby right there. And um, yeah. And we hosted at our gym. And it was so cool to have you at our gym for that. Um, I think the last time we talked, you're mentioning you're working on version, is it three of that curriculum? Well, not necessarily. Well, yes, but kind of in a slow manner. So it's uh, to, to be released is to be D, to be determined. So. Fair enough. Well, I look forward to that. And I, I, one of the things I always give credit to Strong First for is how much they go into researching and revising the curriculums. It's I'm excited to see what's new for the SFG as well. Is there talk of a different uh, or improved snatch technique in there somewhere? Yes. How did you hear about that? I I, I know people. <laughs> okay, all right. Yes, we're we're working on changing some of the uh, the mannerisms of how we teach this snatch technique. Um, so yes, we are working on that right now and we're put, putting together the final touches of that, uh, Brett's been working, doing a great job as director of education, uh, putting together as far as us masters and we're kind of getting all that together and working with uh, the people. And so, yeah, so we're, we're working, definitely working. I think it's a, it's a better technique. Um, kudos to Tim Almond from Australia for kind of bringing it out. Yes. Um, but basically, you know, when you do a kettlebell swing, if you're doing it properly, it's a horizontal projection of force. If I were to let go of the bell at the moment of the top part of the swing, the kettlebell should fly out away mm -hmm. from me. Centrifugal force. Yes. Um, in the kettlebell snatch, we've kind of taught it with that aspect there that the snatch is a version of the swing. And it still is as far as, yeah. you know, the, the point of, you know, squeezing your glutes, lock, pulling your kneecaps up, rooting your feet, getting your lats involved. But then we're taken into more of a vertical projection of force up. Oh. And when you, when you have that, so when you bring the kettlebell down after a snatch, you tend to look from the side and someone has got an arc like this. Yeah. So we're trying to actually shorten that arc and make it a little bit tighter. And by tightening the arc, it's less stress on the human body, which means then you could do more reps in a you know shorter period of time with the kettlebell if you uh, hone this technique. So we're still working out the, the uh, little nuances of it and everything else. And hopefully down the road, we'll be uh, showing it. So. Oh, that's super exciting. The snatch was the one that got me the most. I actually <laughs> partially tore my bicep by uh, my arm. And I showed you hyperextends a little bit. And so loading that was like, ah, so you taught me to don't go past, you know, you don't need to go as far as you can go. Um, so I'd right. love to learn this new technique and cool. definitely forward to that. So thank you for explaining that. I've been mm -hmm. curious about that for a while. And then that was Brett was Brett Jones. He was mentioning and one of the best people in the world. Love. Brett. I agree. I yeah. Agree. Such a great guy. Hope to have him back. We had him on um, last June. I hope to have him on sooner than that. Uh, cool. catch. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that. And then also off camera, you enlighten me this. It's not Strong First Master uh, SFG anymore. It is Strong First Master Instructor. And can you talk about the process of how that works for the instructors? Well, in 2017 at the uh, leadership meeting, we kind of talked about the fact that you know, uh, I know uh, Karen uh, Smith, myself, and a few other people had mentioned the fact that it'd be nice if if we could actually get rid of Master SFG yeah. and call it just Master SF. But to accomplish that, then that means all the master instructors, uh, and, and then we we basically said to senior and team leader instructors as well too that they had to attend all three certifications, so both body weight, barbell, and kettlebell. Kettlebell has two of them, so you got to go through SFG one, SFG two. Oh, and everything else. So you have to become certified in all those certifications. Uh, we now call that Strong First Elite in the organization. So you and students can become Strong First Elite, just like us masters and seniors and team leaders. 
but then the other thing to become a person of leadership. Okay. So we want to promote someone from a, a assistant instructor, say to a team leadership or whatever else uh, you must also have a, like a personal training certification. So I have a CSCS from the NSCA. Uh, I've had that since 1993. So I got that way back when I was in chiropractic school and everything else. Um, they also have a CPT program, certified personal trainer. Uh, NASM has one too. And I can't remember, I think, ACSM or some some other organizations we allow certain and that's for the United States now other uh, countries around the world they have their own different things I think in Canada uh, you're required to be certified as a personal trainer and I think you have to do so many continued education hours per year and stuff like that so every country has their own rules right now in the United States to become a personal trainer you don't even need a high school degree <laughs> yeah so again it's you know I know they've talked about is possibly uh, getting certifications or requiring certain limits and everything else with all that stuff. I'm not sure where that stands right now. Um, I'd be welcome to doing that as long as we don't necessarily put it too tight with that. Yeah. Uh, I think some countries in the world have too tight of uh, certifications for that because personal training, you know, it's a, it's a lot about not just going through the academic aspect, but also becoming a good experience. And that's where you need to work as a, an intern or apprentice with someone who's very knowledgeable about that stuff. Um, I know like Mike Perry, skill of strength yeah. out in Boston, you know, he has some interns out there. So he goes along and coaches these people. And then eventually I think he either hires them or they go on their own way and that kind of stuff, but they're better coaches because they work with Mike and his wife. Oh, I love that. And I think that's great advice, you know, cutting your teeth under a mentor, Exactly. get the, get the hours, the exposure, the failures, <laughs> the learning opportunities, uh, how, how to react on your feet um, and how to approach people and best serve their needs. Well, I agree. Yeah. And I like you, I think I'd, I would definitely welcome having uh, some kind of regulatory governing body to just keep things somewhat standardized and respectful. Because like you said, you see somebody on Instagram doing something really weird and people are like, that's personal training. You're like, nope, that's entertainment. <laughs> well, and I can only speak about the NSCA, but through the CSCS program, when I, it's a, you have to recertify every three years. Yeah. Uh, part of the recertification is they do require us to be certified in CPR. Yes. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, if I'm working with someone and they decide to have a heart attack or they go unconscious, whatever, I can put down my stuff. I can go ahead and start doing CPR on them and everything else to try to revive them. Meanwhile, activating 911 and everything else, all that stuff. So I think other uh, organizations require that. I'm not 100% sure, but I know that the NSCA requires us to be uh, CPR certified, which I'm also required as a doctor to have that as well, too. So we just get it done every year. Remember, we just recertified our whole office here a few weeks ago. Oh, it's the I love doing it as a whole team. It's, it's so great. We host the first aid and CPR. And of course, you know, Ryan, uh, retired Navy. So he's got his woofer. So like a little bit elevated in my, my knowledge as far as medical. And it's always mm -hmm. fun to pick his brain. We've, we've dealt with people having strokes, um, all kinds of syncopations and stuff. So it's good to have that in the toolkit. For sure. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. I even told my staff, hey, if you hear a big body hit the floor, it's probably me. If that happens, I want mm -hmm. you coming back here. So my son, my youngest son is one of my uh, assistants here. And at part-time while he's going to college, he says, well, dad, I'm just going to jump on your chest with my feet. I said, no, wait a minute now. Okay. You're only supposed to depress two inches. Now don't go and go to five inches. Okay. I don't need you breaking my sternum. So. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. He's, he's your son. He wants to rough around with you. That's fun. What's, yeah. Speaking of your sons, um, I really enjoyed getting the phone call this summer about going camping. Where'd you, where'd you guys go camping? We went to Devil's Lake State Park in Wisconsin, which is by Wisconsin Dells. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because it's a beautiful park. Um, they both have a like a, a wide open campground, which is basically not a lot of trees where people can park RVs, but they also do tent camping. And they have kind of a, they would call it more remote 
Uh, I've been to Bonnie Waters many times. I would not call it remote, but I would call it a little bit more kind of backcountry thing. So, you know, we, we I could see another tent down the road, but basically we had our own kind of foliage. Uh, we went camping there for a few days. Um, interesting thing about Devil's Lake State Park, they have a huge uh, hill uh, and next to the state park. So you can tell this whole area was, was basically formed by glaciers. Yeah. Um, and they have these huge granite rocks that people have created trails on all the way up to the top. So when I went up to the top, I was exhausted. It was like doing a bunch of one leg squats yeah. <laughs> because we're not just talking like a normal step up, going up a stairs is like 12 inches. We're mm -hmm. talking like 24, 36 with each leg spending about an hour going up a hill. Um, so we got to the top there. We had some great views, uh, great photos and everything. And then we had to climb back down. And climbing back down was its own animal, too, in addition to going up, even though it's a little bit easier. But now you're doing sorry for talking about strength training, but you're doing eccentric loading because you're constantly slowing down your gravity of your body weight going down the hill. So we had a great time up there. Uh, then we drove to Minnesota, saw my mom and hung out there and uh, then we came back home. Oh, sounds like a great trip. Great yeah. filming trip. I love it. And that's my favorite thing to do is go hiking. Um, as Pavel talked about, we hosted Pavel at our, at our gym for a strong endurance. And I, we're going to do that again here in November. Yeah. Uh, and, and my first time meeting Pavel and what a great person, just humble, professional, very kind, very direct, um, great to work with. And, um, our colleague, Derek Toshner and Ryan Toshner got up and, and spoke about the mountains of Wisconsin. I believed him. I, I'm a naive. I'm from Nebraska. Like you should come see our mountains. <laughs> I'll be there, Derek. There's no mountains. <laughs> so. Um, but I, to your point, yeah, you're basically lunging up when you're, when you're ascending a mountain or that, that big rock and then the eccentric load coming down, I think is the most stressful part on these, especially right. Why we train. Well, and the thing is when you're going up, you know, obviously you're using more glute max, more hamstrings, you're still using your whole leg, but then going down, you're using the opposite. You're using your quads and everything else, your anterior tibialis and dorsiflexors and all that kind of stuff and plantar flexors for that matter. So yeah. you're definitely getting quite a load. If you go up and down, you're getting pretty much everything. Oh, I dig it. Here, here's a question then. Um, do you do any kind of movement prep before going hiking or stretching afterwards? Not usually before when I, so a couple of years ago, um, I decided to start doing some more walking. Yes. And so now I'm walking up to about two or three miles every weekend and everything else for longer walks. And I do normal walks during the week and stuff. I do do about 10 minutes of stretching before I do that, just because I want to, and then just like I, just like my powerlifting career, I always did some type of uh, mobility prep, you know, movement prep and everything else before I actually got going. Um, but that same thing, for example, when I used to, went to uh, Pablo's RKC, yeah. the arm bar and the prying goblet squat and things like that. And then thoracic mobilization with a foam roller, things like that to get my wrist up ready for the lifting ahead. I do some, basically some mobility prep before I go walking and hiking. This one, I did not going up that hill because I was in a tent and we had dirt. And so I did a little bit of some stretching and everything else, but not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but that was definitely, so when we, we got, we got done there, came back, we took a shower and all that stuff. And I was exhausted. I crashed in a sleeping bag that night, um, and got up the next morning. I'm like, I have to go, you know, you have to go pee. So you have to, you know, get going pee is not like getting out of your bed and going to the toilet. Going yeah. pee is you have to put your shoes. I got to find them in the dark. You got to open the uh -huh. zipper up, close the zipper up, not stumble and everything else. And I just felt like my legs were on fire from doing all that walking the day before, but you know, live through it and everything else. And so, oh yeah. I'm with you. Like I, I should say, especially on the podcast, I stretch before everything I do, hiking or splitboarding. I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so excited to see friends or, or just go see nature and just go do it. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. And um, like you, so I have a rooftop tent, so it's on top of my forerunner. So I saw that. 
Yeah, it's so handy. And I, we camp year round every Wednesday night is my Wednesday is my day off into Thursday morning. And I go camp summer or winter, take the dog. So I get to do a modified zercher <laughs> carrying two 60 pound dogs up the ladder. And like you middle of the night, I'm like, do I really want to get out of the tent? That's like eight feet off the ground in a blizzard. You got, <laughs> what you got to do. <laughs> exactly. But, but we like the cold. Cold's fantastic. Exactly. Oh, so is there anything else like that you do for fun besides uh, lift heavy things? Um, you know, I like spending time with my children. I have two sons left here in Fort Wayne. My other oldest son's in uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Wow. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to go up there. He hasn't been able to come down, but we do some Zoom calls and everything else with him and my other, other sons. Um, my middle son is 26. He got married last September. Uh, so he lives oh, with his wife here in Fort Wayne, about four or five miles from here. Um, the, him and his wife are both actuaries. He worked for Lincoln, uh, which is one of the more uh, insurance companies in Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. And then uh, youngest son, Marks, he's 19. He's a freshman at Indiana Tech University here in town and uh, just in, enjoying life, living with me full time and doing well. So I'm glad to hear the family's doing well. That's awesome. And yeah. Let's talk about the COVID right now, because when we talked last time, it was, it was a free for all. Life was as we knew it normal. Right. And then within a month of our conversation, uh, especially as business owners having uh, brick and mortar operations, mm-hmm. a lot of things changed. And um, yeah, Zoom, you know, obviously has helped in my personal business. I have different cameras set up multiple different angles. So it was a natural transition, but I've watched a lot of our friends and colleagues like that own operations that had to close down for different regulations and stuff and for safety. Uh, have you, uh, what have you learned over the last year and has it changed your business in any way? We are actually more busy in my office as far as seeing patients on a week-to-week basis than we were before the pandemic. Wow. Um, but when our governor, Indiana governor, when he locked us down, I think it was March 17th or whatever else, we actually were about 50% of what we normally see. So we lost business in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was only for about three or four weeks. And then we had patients starting to come in. We had a bunch of new patients. People were getting tired of sitting like you and I right now are sitting yeah. doing lots of sitting. But after this call, I got to get up and go do things and everything else with that. So when you look at that, people were doing lots and lots of sitting, lots of front stuff. So they were not necessarily going to their job and everything else. So they got they got out of their bed, went to the bathroom, drank a cup of water, sat in a computer all day, sat down for dinner, sat down for TV at night, and then hit the sack. So their bodies were not getting any movement. So we had a lot of people who had low back pain, ankle pain, knee pain, all that kind of stuff. So we've been still been very busy with that. So we've been blessed to have that happen for us. I know other businesses, like a lot of our friends in Strong First, um, they own gyms. Yeah. And some still can't even go into their gym or some they may own the gym. They may go into it by themselves, but they can't have students come to them. Um, now that's where Zoom just took off. I wish I oh. wish I had stock in Zoom before yeah. this happened. I'm sure a lot of people have wished that <laughs> uh, because they'd be almost millionaires by now on, on paper because Zoom has taken off and it's given us a whole new appreciation for video calls. We're doing Zoom right now. Yeah. And I can see you perfectly. You can see me good and everything else. And it works great. Um, and before that, you know, I'm, I'm a Mac guy, so I have a lot of Mac computers. So I have FaceTime, but Zoom is so much better for recording. Uh, I use it with my children. So when I, when I have a, a family conversation between my three sons, you know, my oldest son, Colin is in Canada and he's on Zoom, you know, mm-hmm. so we have all this different stuff. We can do that. I don't record the calls, but it's still, it is what it is. And we, we have a good time with that. Um, but yeah, so Zoom has taken off crazy. Uh, so we've had some of the people like Fabio. He's done a lot of stuff on Zoom and everything else. Oh, yeah. Both, both teaching for Strong First. There you the go. Through with the there Fabio. There you go. 
um, and everything else. So that's going well. A lot of our other fellow leadership people in Strong First are doing that as well, too. Uh, I don't do that just because I'm both so busy with patients. I really sure. don't have a whole lot of time or make time to do that. Uh, but it has just gone crazy with that. And I know in Indiana here, um, today, or yesterday, the governor said that everyone 16 and older can get vaccines. Um, and then next Tuesday, April 6th, is when we're going from a mask mandate to a mask advisory. Wow. Um, so you're not required to wear masks. Now, obviously, private businesses can go ahead and do their own that. Uh, their own counties. Uh, he's letting it, the county health commissioners do their own thing. So some counties are still like, I think, in Huntington County, which is or Huntington City, which is about two and a half hours south of here. They're having their mask mandate stay until April 30th. Yeah. So it just different businesses can do different things and all that stuff. So well, it thanks is what it is. I'm glad that you're you're way busy. That is that is great news. And a lot of people I've talked to, they found a way to make this work. And to your point, um, my gym that I've had for 10 years, I still haven't been into it. Probably won't be able to go to it to end of summer until everybody's we're in the clear here in Denver. So that was kind of heartbreaking. Then my other gym closed. But fortunately, you know, one door closes or two door closes in this case, another door opens up. So now I'm training full-time at our friends, uh, Ryan Humphreys gym existence athletics. And I love it. We're doing things safely. We do our, we do a zoom, we do a nice camera setup. And so people can do virtually if they don't feel comfortable coming in. Uh, yeah, it's getting back to a very sustainable business is growing. Like you said, people are sick of sick of sitting on their asses. <laughs> they want to get moving. Was, so Ryan's gym's open, you said? Oh yeah, it's open. Okay. All right. We opened up back in, um, early May mm. and actually it's been as busy as ever because we have at least half people online. And also it saves people. This is a, an angle I never thought about. Even though the gym is open, a lot of people I was training virtually through Zoom still want to do the Zoom because it saves them half an hour plus of travel. Don't have to pay for parking. They can keep an eye on the kids or their, you know, whatever else they get projects in front of them. It's, it's convenient, I guess, is mm -hmm. a lot. And it's still very helpful. Like I've, I've had people setting, as Ryan and I joke, pandemic PRs because they're staying consistent and <laughs> during a pandemic and they're just, they're, they're closer to their fridge, maybe make a better sandwich after training. I don't know. There you it, go. It's all lining up correctly. You know, more ice cream, possibly. I'm not too sure. So we call it a PPR then. <laughs> pandemic PR. I like that. That's some good copywriting. Pandemic PR. Yes. I'm going to give you copyright uh, authority on that. That was good. There you go. Yeah. So, well, you know, it, it, doing, being a doctor of chiropractic, since my hands need to be on patients, yes. um, it, we couldn't do telehealth. We couldn't do telemed, whatever term you want to use with that. I know some medical doctors have done that and it's worked out well for some patients. Sure. Um, but unfortunately, I needed my hands on people. Um, we had a lot of uh, hand sanitizer in our office. Every room's got one and everywhere. And uh, we even have uh, extra masks. So if someone didn't come in with a mask, we can give them a mask and everything else. But you know, we're looking forward to this uh, mass advisory versus mass mandate. I know that uh, the state of Texas, they went to Governor Abbott, said no more masks and everything else. I, I don't know if they call it a mass advisory or whatever, yeah. uh, but their numbers have been going still steadily down even after he released that. So right. it's somewhat encouraging with that. And I think the, I heard yesterday, Major League Baseball opens up today. Mm -hmm. um and i think the texas rangers are allowing a full stadium wow yeah right. so i know some stadiums in the, in the country they're asking they're having limited numbers of people coming in but the texas rangers uh, i think they're in arlington uh have said that they want a full stadium so again we'll, we'll see how that goes and you know i know the uh executive vice president of the rangers said that they're not hoping to be a super spreader but with mm -hmm. all their you know their precautions and everything else they should have no issues with that Oh, that's fantastic. Things are looking like they're getting really close to getting back to whatever normal was before. <laughs> well, Roger Goodell from the NFL said he wants full NFL stadiums 
this fall. Now, obviously, football doesn't usually start till September, so we got a few months before that happens and everything else. But with the advent of vaccines, with the advent of people just you know getting even getting COVID ahead of time or whatever else type thing, um, it seems to be slowly, hopefully, going away. I, I agree, and I've had probably twenty percent of people I work with get COVID, and and I so I've had quite a bit of experience working with people who have had it and the lingering effects of it. And fortunately, all the people I I, I know who have had it have made have made good recovery. Um, and here in Colorado, they're opening it up, I think tomorrow, Friday, the 2nd of April, uh, open to 16 and above. My wife and I are going next Sunday uh, to get our, our Johnson Johnson shot. So I'm really excited about getting that done um, and seeing family in person. <laughs> Very there you much. go. There you go. Yeah. So, cool. Now, does your wife go camping with you when you go camping or a lot of times you buy yourself with the dogs? Oh, she will go if it's above freezing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so pretty much um end of may through september so she's got a good six months that she'll go she's hardy she has all the drills down I, I give her like a small bag to pack I'm like you put whatever you want in there the very first camping trip she loaded it with a bunch of undergarments I'm like we're going for one night she's like i don't know what to do Just give me this bag to pack and so she overpacked it with things we don't need but uh over the last decade plus of camping with me and the dog she's refined her her uh camping accoutrement and um, yeah, she loves it. But during the winter, it's usually just me and the dogs. And then I, I go to one of the same, same spots almost all the time. So people know where it is and people just randomly show up and we grill steaks, have some adult beverages, swap stories. And then um, it's it's a blast. If you're ever in Colorado, you want to do some winter camping, Doc. I literally have you covered head to toe, down sleeping bags, anything you need. It's a fun time. I may take you up on that. Please do. Yeah. I, as in gearman, we get sent so much stuff to test. I literally have like three different um, crazy camping stoves. One of them actually powers electronics from BioLite. One of them is made in Pennsylvania, close to you. Um, it's welded it's like 60 pounds and it, it burns in two chambers and it looks like a jet engine. It's super cool stuff. Yeah. It's That's pretty cool. Actually down. this summer we're going to, so one of my goals was to go to every single one of our 50 states before I die. Yes. And I just hit North Carolina at the end of 2019. So I was done with all my 50 states. Don't ask me why North Carolina was the last state, but it was. <laughs> um, but my next goal now is to go to all the national parks in our country. And I'm talking about the national parks, not the national historical things and everything else. So there's like 62 or 63 of them. Yeah. Uh, I've already been to like eight or 10 of them. Uh, so this summer we're doing our California national park. We're going to hit Yosemite. Uh, Kings Canyon, Sequoia National Park, Death Valley. And if I got time left, we're going to hit Joshua Tree and then fly to LAX and come home. So we'll hit probably four to five national parks this summer. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And my oh. youngest youngest son's going to come with me. He's going to bring a high school friend of his with us and everything else. So we're going to have some uh, some good fun, see some great landscape and great views and probably take a thousand photos. At least. Yes. You, don't, you cannot take enough photos and videos. It comes in handy. I, that's why I have, I have a lot of cameras. I'm always taking videos. People laugh, but then they see the video and they're like, that was, that was a good memory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well sure. my father was into photography, so I got into photography, but that was back when the old film days, you know, oh, we had, yeah. you had the, the 35 millimeter film, you had like 24 shots. You had to then send it to a developer, wait for it to come back. And if you had took three crappy photos, they still printed three crappy photos. Now we got digital. So if you don't like it, you just go and hit delete. Done. And you can retouch things. I'm not into filters. My wife loves the filters, but uh, you can get Photoshop for free and it can really, a, a, a photograph you might have thought you lost, you can you can change exposure and bring things mm -hmm. out. So yeah, digital is the way to go. I agree. Well, the best camera you have is the one you have on you, which is usually your cell phone. Yeah. They work great. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're digital as far as uh, uh, pixels or whatever is mm -hmm. very high, especially oh, in yeah. the newer ones. So. 
oh, it's nuts. Yeah, we got the newer iPhone and it shoots HDR video. I have a $2,000 camera right there that doesn't shoot HDR video. So again, <laughs> the thing in your pocket is usually the best tool you have. Right. Oh, that's great. Well, on year two, if you want to come through Colorado, I'll show you Rock Mountain National Park in a heartbeat. Yes, that'd be excellent. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite places. I've done my avalanche education, uh, levels one and two up there. It's really beautiful. Although we had a forest fire. I don't know if you know about the forest fires we had last year. Mm -mm. So not just Colorado. I know Washington State and I believe uh, New Mexico and, of course, California. Right. We have never had worse forest fires. It was nuts, Doc. Uh, most of the places I would take you camping, uh, we couldn't even get to for July, August, September, October. Oh, not wow. until like the first or second snow. It was nuts. Um yeah, we're heading out to California here at the end of May. So hopefully, you know, we'll avoid all that stuff. I think, you know, California may have some forest fires again this summer. I was talking to uh, Mike Susi the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we may actually hook up with him if he's in town for a day or two. But um, he was telling me they don't have, they didn't have a lot of rain this, uh, this last winter, which means that in the mountains, they don't have a lot of snowpack. Mm -hmm. So, they, you know, with that being that most likely the trees will probably be drier, the potential, potential for forest fires may increase. So we'll see. Yeah, well, fingers fingers crossed that um, doesn't repeat what last year happened. And, and like like California, we had a really weird snowpack. Obviously, we're a little higher elevation, so the rain turns into snow. And it finally, as of March, started to look like December in the mountains. Mm -hmm. It's getting there. But hopefully, and again, it's not just for the skiing and snowboarding and rafting, but like the water tables, because our water goes to Cal uh, California as well. Also, uh, you know, it, just for safety of the forest. Uh, but it's interesting, I had a forest firefighter on the show, Monkey Dan. Uh, he invented a suspension trainer called the the monkey bar. It's a really cool guy. You'd, you'd like him. And he actually talked about using fire to fight fire, like Metallica song. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, got to bring back to Metallica. There you uh, go. Yeah. And so they would set the fire before the fire would get there to pre-burn. And also, this is very unique, but it helps regeneration in the soil. So it's like a necessary evil, right? It just when man gets homes and, and lives in, in between what nature does on its own, that it gets real tricky. I've learned that many years ago that when you try to mess with mother nature, it will come back and kick you in the butt. Oh yeah. She's so, way bigger than us. <laughs> well, for example, in Minnesota, um, the border between Minnesota and North Dakota, there's a river called the red river. And actually it flows North um, into is it Lake Winnipeg or something like that. And mm -hmm. so Fargo, North Dakota, um, let's see what else is up there. There's a couple other cities on that river, but they've actually diked the river so strongly that it doesn't have the normal areas to dissipate when it floods. So then all of a sudden you have this area can't dissipate, this area can dissipate, so the water level gets higher and higher. And so it ends up flooding the towns, like Fargo got flooded levels, the entire downtown got flooded at one point, just a number of years ago. But again, when they, they dike the river so they can put people there, live there. Yeah. But when you do that, you're just pushing, you're kicking the can down the road. And with mother nature, when you kick the can down the road, it becomes a bigger can and a yeah. bigger can. And then you end up having issues there. So again, when all these fires were happening in California last year, a lot of them were just natural fires, mm -hmm. you know? And so they were happening, but people were like, oh, we can't do this or climate change and everything else. It's not climate change. It, it, forests naturally burn and then they regenerate. They burn, they regenerate. It's part of life and everything else. So um, you got to be careful with that. But still, when you start messing with it, it usually comes back with a roaring fire and kicks you in the butt. Yeah, literally. Oh, well said. Yeah, there's so much expansion, uh, human expansion, and uh, nature's been here way before us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, that played nicely with her, for sure. Oh, this is great. Anything else you're working on over there? I know you, you're mentioning um, revisions for the, the Snatch and then um, potential revisions for the SFL program. 
Anything else you guys cooking up over there? Well, personally, I'm actually uh, writing a book right now. And really? it's about Yes. And you're the first person I've told about this. It was about kettlebell training. Um, Human Kinetics is going to be the publisher for it. It'll come out sometime in spring of 2022. Uh, and everything else. I've talked to Pablo about this, so he knows about it. Pablo Tutsaline. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to say any more about it. Just telling you I'm putting it together. So I'm going through the writing right now. Uh, so I do that in my off hours. Uh, I'm also potentially looking at possibly getting my PhD in exercise science slash human performance. Whoa, doc, that's awesome on both accounts. Yes. So I'm not 100% sure about the PhD. I got to be able to, the book thing comes first. So if I don't have time to do the book, then I'm not going to do the PhD at this point. Um, but I've always said I wanted to get a PhD in exercise science, human performance, that kind of stuff. Um, with the pandemic, some universities now have moved to almost a more online model for most of the training. Um, so I'm possibly taking a look at that and I also, I can keep my practice open and do that and everything else. Um, so I told one of my patients and he goes, so do I call you Dr. Doctor or, do- or Dr. Squared? I said, you're funny. Ha ha. Oh, that's, so, that's funny. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the book. So uh, I talked to Pablo a few weeks ago about it and everything else. And he seems to be excited about it. So, uh, oh. yeah, it's not a strong first book. It's nothing to do with strong first, but uh, human kinetics saw my chapter in uh, Craig Levinson's uh, rehab rehabilitation of the spine book. I wrote a bar- uh, chapter in there about barbell training. Uh, I think Andrea Chang wrote an article there about the hip hinge too. So we had a few of us people wrote, wrote chapters in there and then they contacted me. So I'm excited to uh, hopefully release that book here or human connects release that book in spring of 2022. 2022. Oh, that's so great. Thank you for sharing that with us. No problem. I'll, I'll be the first person to buy a book. Sign me up. <laughs> well, I'm getting the first copy. Okay. I'm telling you right I'll, now. I'll buy number two. I'll buy number okay. two. There you go. There you go. Oh, that's so, great, Doc. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I'm going to give plugs to all, all of where people can find you as well. Um, of course, on Instagram, Dr. Michael Hartle. And then Allen County Family uh, and Sports Cairo. That Cairo Practic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So we're on my website for that is chiropower.com. It's, you know, when you see a website for, for doctor's offices, there's not a lot of change to them uh, yeah. because it basically is just more about where we are, what we do, who the doctor is and that kind of stuff. So it's not like you uh, go on a website where you have constant change on a daily basis. So there's a blog article added, I think every, every two weeks and stuff like that. But other than that, awesome. there's not a lot of change, but it's chiropower.com um, and everything. So I got that name back when like the internet was in its infancy, so yeah. I've had many people ask me to try to like buy it for me. And I said, nope, nope. I'm just going to keep that because it's what I was in power lifting at the time. So that's where the power comes from and the Cairo, Cairo power. So it seemed to be a good, uh, good thing with that. So that's a great name. And how flattering people want to buy your domain. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You did good. You did good, doc. Thank uh, you. This is great. Uh, I know it's coming up on an hour and I want to respect your time. Is there anything else you want to cover before we uh, jump off here? No, just uh, having lots of fun right now. Obviously, the pandemic is, you know, it's one of those things that um, uh, I tend, I have a very strong immune system. I never get the, I never get the flu shots right now, but I never get the flu. I never get sick. I haven't been sick like in six years. Wow. So it's been a little bit frustrating dealing with all this stuff here uh, with the masks and everything else. I understand why they did it. It is what it is. You know, you do you, I'll do me and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I think we've had some people that have gotten other people's business. And it's like, you know what? You do you, I'll do me. You know, uh, I, I do have uh, 
Uh, I, I know after the goes to a mask advisory next week that we are going to continue to have some patients wear masks and that's no problem. And a few of them said, well, you continue to wear a mask. We wear a mask when I you know, come in. I said, yeah, well, so everyone on my staff knows that when uh, patient uh, X comes in that we all mask up for him. And then when he leaves, we can unmask next week and everything else when we do that. So not a problem with that. Uh, if you get a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. You know, you guys do you, I'll do me and everything else. It is what it is. I've had a few patients ask me that. And I said, well, that's more of a personal thing. Yeah. And what you do is you, and we're good with that and everything else. So again, people are all about, whereas before this, no one said, hey, do you have the chickenpox vaccine? Have you gotten the measles vaccine? Have you got your hepatitis vaccine? No one even asked about that. Um, that's probably one thing I guess I would like to um, say is I hope the countries in the world don't go to this vaccine passport mm -hmm. idea. Uh, we've never had that before with anything as far as whether uh, the measles and mumps, uh, even smallpox. I still got a scar on my arm. I was born in 67. Yes, I'm still 29, but I was born in 67. Um, <laughs> That's great math. <laughs> but I got, but I got, yeah, I know it's awesome math. Um, but I just got a scar on my arm from the smallpox vaccine, oh. you know, so everything else. So, but, you know, we don't, we've never had this when I've traveled around the world teaching strong first events and coaching powerlifting that no one ever said, hey, if you get your latest flu shot, if you have your latest hepatitis shot and everything else, no one said that before. Now we're kind of looking at this thing where, well, either you need to test negative three days before you come or you need to have the vaccine and everything else. And then someone told me that they went to, they had a, one of their uh, family members went to Aruba mm -hmm. and they had that thing where either be vaccine or you can be tested negative in three days prior. Well, they landed in the plane there and they said, show us your test. And so they showed them the test three days prior. They said, well, it's not good enough. You have to go through our testing, $150, please. Oh. Now, that's just from a one patient to me. So I, who knows how the validity of that statement. But again, you know, if you require that to come into your country, then accept if it's a test by a lab, accept the test. Yeah. You know, don't say that. You should probably be put in fine print. Hey, you know what? You can only be tested here. Yeah. That's, that's kind know? of the trap it there. Yeah. Well, so you then know and we have to wait for the results to come back. So then they have to quarantine so they can't do their vacation stuff. Yeah. Well, to your point, um, Alex DeHebrew Hammer was on here a few months ago, went to Hawaii and he had a funny story. I'll let him tell it, but uh, he got kicked out of Hawaii for that reason. Yeah. Kicked out of Hawaii? Yeah. <laughs> he has a much more elaborate way of, of saying it. He's, he's Alex. He's, he's verbose and entertaining. But um, yeah, he basically got kicked out of Hawaii because uh, of that reason. He had to quarantine, get the test, and then they booted him. Wow. Yeah. And this was like in the middle, I think this was like in the summertime I had him and Pat Flynn on, they were just riffing. It was a fun story, but yeah, yeah. like to your point, I, I, we're all doing the best to stay healthy and do the right thing and follow the rules and get back to uh, functioning and interacting and, and um, enjoying life again. And I, and I hope that the takeaway for everybody going through this and it's because it's a worldwide event is a little more empathy and compassion and um, just kindness, hopefully, because we've all been through this together now. Well, I'm thinking about putting together an article for Strong First and about uh, COVID and strength training and everything else. I'm doing some research about that, uh, both from a strength coach, my perspective, but also from my perspective as a doctor and everything else, uh, and also a nutritionist too. But generally, and it's showing right now that people who do some type of strength training, or mm -hmm. even if you want to even go more general, who do some type of exercising, whether it be uh, riding your bike outside, walking, hiking, you know, that kind of stuff that generally if they do get COVID that their symptoms are usually less. Okay. Less severe or almost, almost non-existent. 
I can add to that for sure, Doc. Um, every person I work with, because they work with us together, and they, they're right. active, they're outside, they get vitamin D, they ride their horses, a mountain bike, they get it. And um, my friend Modest Yahoo, he is, um, you know, a little bit older than me, and um, he's back skiing, taking his grandkids skiing. He was down for about a week and a half, a little slow yeah. to recover on, on respiratory, but, right. you know, it is what it is. Right. And, and again, I even tell patients who, who come in that, you know, if you want to take a good vitamins, a good multivitamin, uh, not Centrum or one a day, but something like a good multivitamin, you want to take vitamin D, vitamin C, and take some zinc. Yeah. Um, and if you want to go beyond that, even some fish oil to help as far as, as far as lubrication in your brain and the heart stuff. But those are some basic things you should be taking, especially in the winter months when we're not outside as much, not getting as much vitamin D. Um, and even if you are, so I live in Indiana, you live in Colorado. Um, the sun's a little bit stronger where you are because obviously you're closer to the sun than I am. I'm only about, <laughs> yeah. I'm only about 700 feet above sea level. You're about over 5,000, 6,000. So, yep. um, but still, you know, we've got to get enough vitamin D. Vitamin D is a great antioxidant. Yes, it is fat soluble. So you do need to eat it with food, uh, not between meals, but with food. Uh, but still, it's a great antioxidant and it helps your body tremendously. Um, we had a situation last year. Um, where I lost my sense of taste and smell. And people say that that's COVID. Now, it was just for a couple of days and I was off work at the time. It was around, I don't know, we we're doing something where I was off work for a few days. Um, but again, you know, I don't know if I had COVID. I could get other diseases that can lose your taste and smell. And I came back, you know, not now with COVID, everyone said, well, you had COVID and everything else, but I had no other symptoms, zero. Even right. my walking was, I set some new PRs as I sometimes time my walking as far as routes I take and mm -hmm. even set new PRs. So obviously I didn't have any uh, lung issues, no breathing, respiratory things going on. So who knows yeah. um, and everything else. I just wore my mask in the office for a few days after and none of my patients got sick. I didn't get sick. No one else got sick. So again, who knows? You know? Yeah. So I, I, like you, I, the, our last podcast, I literally had 104 fever. Uh, it was as sick as I, I've been in a while, not like pneumonia level or, or like bronchitis, but it's pretty sick. And I don't like you, I don't really get sick very often. And, um, and I had just got done meeting an outdoor retail with like 55,000 people, 10,000 of them from, from, from uh, other countries. So anything's possible, but back then right. we didn't have like antibody tests. It was February. It wasn't even a, a thing in America yet. Right. Right. And that's why I didn't even get it tested because I didn't feel like I even had COVID. I had no other symptoms. I've had a lot of patients who have had symptoms. So again, who knows if I had it, but done and gone and it's over with. So, so no, I'm with you on that. Well, this is, this has been a fun, fun chat. And uh, if you need any references from my people about their recoveries from COVID, I'm happy to provide those too for your article. I appreciate that. I may actually quote you on some things. So yeah, I got some great resources. I, I keep diligent notes of all my people I work with. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Well, Doc, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. It just flies by. I can't believe it's been an hour. And uh, we didn't even talk about Metallica that much, only twice, I think. And we didn't mention any humorous jokes. Well, let's talk about Metallica. So Metallica, <laughs> you did that drive-in theater thing last year. Did you, you hear about that? No, no. Oh, okay, yeah. so, yeah. So they were obviously not, you know, just like any other band or, or, or rock star or country music star. They weren't playing concerts. And that's where they derive a lot of their income from. So Metallica came up with an idea that they would actually play together in some remote place in California or someplace. Mm -hmm. And they actually would uh, basically go to drive-in movie theaters. So you had to go to a drive-in movie theater to watch it. So I went down to Huntington, a town about 20 miles from here. Uh, my middle son, who's a Metallica fan, he came with me. We went and got some pizza. We sat outside uh, the, my truck and everything else and watched a bunch of other people there. And we watched Metallica play a concert. So you can say we, I went to another concert but not in person because obviously they were on the screen there, but I guess they played it at over 
300 screens across the country. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's either, what was it? It's either August or September. I can't remember when it was. Um, but yeah, it was actually pretty cool. Uh, we watched it and got done about 1130 or so. And like a typical and, concert. Yeah. And the four guys were there playing and you could see all the people setting things up were wearing masks. And obviously the four band members were not wearing masks, but they were actually kind of, you know, socially distanced away from each other with all that. Yeah. And, uh, and it was good. It was a good concert. So it was, uh, awesome. you know, yeah. So I've seen him uh, eight times out, eight times I've seen him in concert. So, Oh, that's great. What was your first concert with Metallica? What tour was that? That was 2004 here in Fort Wayne. Um, I think what concert was that? I can't remember which album that was after, um, but they played in our Memorial Coliseum. We're a town of about 300,000. So they have a, a place where our semi-pro hockey team plays and everything else. They played in the theater and around right in the middle there. Um, and then I went up to Detroit at the old Detroit Pistons uh, place uh, palace thing they call it anyways went and saw them there like two months later so i saw them two times in a row and and i told the uh my wife at the time i said i want to go see metallica before they retire of course in 2004 i didn't think they'd be going till 2021 but they're still <laughs> kicking butt and everything else yeah. um and if i have to i'll fly someplace but they came to fort wayne and yeah. it was an awesome concert enjoyed it thoroughly so it was just yeah it was great i think the best concert i've been to though was at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. It was August 20th of 2016 or something like that. And my sister joined me. And uh, she I think that was her first Metallica concert. And the Minnesota had just built that U.S. Bank Stadium where the Vikings were going to be playing. And we actually, they didn't, hadn't even played a game in there yet. And so on Friday night, they had a, a country star, then Saturday night Metallica. And the acoustics inside that stadium, because they have a glass roof, Mm -hmm. um was just amazing i mean i could hear hetfield and i can understand all the words he was saying in addition to hearing the music loud so it was the first time i been able to actually because a lot of times when you're like um we saw him in uh detroit tiger baseball stadium outdoor stadium in july of 2017 and it was it was okay but it's just it's such an open air thing you, you lose some aspect with that um but the u.s bank stadium is probably the best sounding uh, concert and then i found out that metallica uh, i'm sure other bands do it too they offer you can purchase after the concert like for like nine bucks or whatever else the mp3s of the concert oh i jump on that yeah, yeah. so when you look at it you go to metallica.com and you can do that and everything else and you can get it and it's they send it to you in digital files um it kind of brings back memories of back the old napster days when metallica sued yeah. napster and <laughs> yeah. basically shut it down but then now they're selling the MP3 files and, you know, because obviously they have, they have a huge mixing boards, like your mixing board there, but times yeah. like 5,000 um, yeah. and everything. So they have all these people still recording it. Why not? And so, not? Yeah, yeah, I listen to the concerts when I'm, uh, when I'm doing work or whatever else, I just listen to them and it's found, sounds fantastic. Oh, that's awesome, Doc. And I hope other bands do that too, because what a great way to relive the memories. And like, I was there, I remember this song when the crowd went wild and like, what a great experience. Uh, $10 is a bargain. And yeah, I did use Napster back in the day, like most everybody. Hey, I did um, too. Yeah, I, I, tons of Napster. But if I could give $10 to a band to relive that uh, special event, it wouldn't a heartbeat. Why I not? I would. I agree. I agree. Just good business. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I, you're going to laugh at this. It's pretty anticlimactic. My first Metallica one was the Black Album and User Illusion with Guns N' Roses. It would have been a great concert, except for my ride did not pick me up. So, oh I, my God, uh, you had tickets to that concert? I had tickets to that concert. It was, oh. uh, yeah. But how cool would that be? Guns I remember, when, I remember when Guns N' Roses came out with Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Those were yeah. some of the two most anticipated albums oh, of yeah. like all time. 
Yeah, they're they're like magnificent orchestrations of big long songs, and then you know Metallica's Black album, Bob Rock, super produced. Some of your favorite songs are on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to that concert, but didn't get to go. I know super anticlimactic answer. <laughs> have you those ever been? Ones, have you been to a Metallica concert? No, I have not. Oh, as much as I, I know, I, I grew up like my favorite albums are Justice for All, Master of Puppets, Ride of Lightning, mm-hmm. um, and then Garage Days Revisited is one of my favorites, covering some punk songs. The last few years, Metallica has always finished. Their very last song is Enter Sandman. Um, And it it always ended with that song, because obviously that's probably the most popular song of all time. Um, But they also play Generally Seek and Destroy. They usually play One. Uh, One's interesting, because when they play with their big video or video screens behind them, um, they have the images of the soldiers and everything else where One is kind of derived from. Yeah. Um, So it's actually quite interesting. And they they play um, that other song, Fuel, which is from Load, after after the Black Album. Um, They have Fire. And uh, yeah, go through it. They even have fire, I think, going through some like little spigots in the ground and everything else and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty uh, cool. I will make it a point to travel if I have to to go see Metallica. I they I literally grew up on Metallica. That's why I play guitar. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to relearn Orion uh, later tonight, actually. And I'll play it for you. Well, good job. That was actually uh, Cliff Burton's, uh, was that his? I think it was Cliff Burton's main song. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a huge bass song. Is mm-hmm. um, it the bass uh, middle part right there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, and Cliff Burton, for the, uh, if you don't know, if you're a Metallica fan, was the bass player up until Master Puppets when they recorded, I think, in Sweden, and the bus rolled over. Yeah, their bus actually rolled over, and Cliff was the only person that was hurt. I think uh, the other members we got some little Dixon, you know, uh, Nixon cracks and everything else, but Cliff actually died in that bus accident. So, and then yep. that's when Jason Newstead came on, and then of course now we have Robert Trujillo as a bass player. Did he come from uh, Suicide Tennessee's? Yes, I think so. Cool. I think he All played right. for with Ozzy or Black Sabbath or both or whatever else prior and everything else, but he's a good bass player. That's cool. Yeah, he's yeah. fantastic. And Jason Newstead, great. Came from a Flutzman mm-hmm. gym, I think. Yep. Yeah, we like our metal. Doc and I like metal. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. It, you know, so it's interesting. The other day I was um, just finished a show called Bosch, which is on Prime Video. It's, a, it's about an L.A. Uh, detective. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he's a big jazz guy. And I, I've never really, 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 really liked jazz. Um, I just want, I mean, I like uh, uh, classical music like Beethoven, Mozart. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes listen to that stuff, especially after a training session where I've gotten so ramped up that I need to actually something to kind of calm me down. And yeah. so I listen to the classical music on the way home. My kids go, Dad, what are you listening to classical music for? I said, hey, I need to calm down here, okay? Um, but anyway, so there's a guy named Chris Body. And trust me, I know nothing about jazz music. And his he had a song on uh, one of the episodes. So I actually did some looking on Apple Music with that. And so actually I bought a couple of his albums. He's got some good music. So I like it. Cool. That's nice. So I'm getting a little bit into jazz just a tiny bit, but don't know a whole lot about it. So I'm just more of in my infancy stages with that aspect. Well, that's very branching out. Like you, uh, I like structured, minor, uh, classical, Baroque music a lot, like Johann Sebastian Bach mm-hmm. and then Beethoven and Mozart, uh, Paganini as well. Um, but then death metal and heavy metal, because like, they correlate very well. There are a lot of minors, a lot of really good appreciations. And jazz to me, like you're skipping notes and going on, getting all funky and getting outside of the boundaries. And so I have to learn to appreciate the diversity of that. Um, yeah. Oh, back 
to your point about listening to classical after training. So I used to DJ, I was a professional DJ for about 20 years. Okay. And so, yeah, that I, I keep a tempo about 133 to 135 BPM for the majority of the night. That was a good correlation to heart rate and dancing. Like people can sustain that. Now, if it was a really eager crowd, you get up to like 165, which is not sustainable, but you have to bring them back down somehow. So yeah, we would use like you're doing music to modulate and hopefully not control, but like, you know, help um, calm people down and get them into the right place. Right. Well, and, 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 you know, I could listen to no music and still calm down, but generally I would listen to something other than heavy metal, you know, forehead banging against brick wall bleeding type of music there, which I just needed to do to be able to get my squats or benches or deadlifts in the gym and that kind of stuff. And now I need to calm down so I don't rip someone's head off at home and just, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. kind of thing. So. Yeah, the end to the end, it all balances out. Exactly. Oh, exactly. I dig it. Oh, Doc, this has been an absolute pleasure. I don't want this to end, but I know you have to get back to your things. Um, I'm going to have links for Cairo Power and your Instagram. And I, thank you for sharing about your new book coming up. I will um, definitely, I'll be the second person in line to buy the book after you. And um, Well, thank you. I've been honored to be asked to do it. And I'm enjoying putting it together so far. So, Oh, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you very much, Doc. You're an awesome person, a great mentor. And uh, thank you for your time today. We all well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you, sir. I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person again sometime. I am looking forward to that very much. Uh, TNGamer.com, YouTube viewers, listeners, and, and uh, podcast listeners. This has been Michael Doc Hartle, um, one of my favorite mentors uh, for the Gamer.com pod show. Uh, Sean Sewell, until next time, take care. Yeah. See you, mister. <laughs> take care. <laughs>